How are you enjoying the Arctic vortex? <laughs> My car didn't like it this morning. I needed an extra caffeine and my car needed an extra 20 minutes running before we even left this morning. But we're here, and it's good, as King David said, it's good to be in God's presence with God's people singing praises. Isn't it good to be in the, in the presence of God and in the house of God? And Today we are picking up again the message series we've been doing called Blessed, Blessed. And we did three parts, so I just want to recap very briefly to you, because in the very first part, the first Sunday of January of this year, we made a decision, you may remember, we made a decision, we are going to walk in the blessings of God this year. Okay, I don't know what the devil's got in plan for this year. I don't know what governments have got in store for this year. I don't know what laboratories in Wuhan, China have in store for this year. I don't, there's a whole lot of unknowns about this year. But there's something that we do know for sure. God is a promise-making, promise-keeping keeping God, and he has promised us every good and perfect gift and every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, and all of the promises of God belong to those of us who are in Christ, and Christ has redeemed us from all the curses so that the blessings of Abraham might come upon us. Listen, we cannot bank on anybody or anything, but the Bible says God never changes. He always was a good God. He is a good God. He always will be a good God. And I intend to walk and enjoy his goodness this year. Are you on board with me for it? So we decided that at the beginning. And then we took a couple of weeks, you know, we looked at kind of material blessings, the blessings and the promises that God gives us in this life. We also then took a, a couple of weeks to look at the spiritual blessings of a pure heart, the blessing of assurance of salvation, of, of a new heart, of a new creation. And we saw that the spiritual blessings which are eternal, are obviously much more important than the material blessings, which are temporal or temporary. And so uh, we do want to have our priorities correct. So we did all that. But today we're going to go back to material blessings again. And in fact, today we're going to speak about the most controversial of God's blessings, financial blessings. Now, some people get all uptight. Some Christians got all uptight when you mention one. Well, I don't think God wants to give me financial blessings. Shh, that's fine. You can live any way you want, but if you don't want yours, I'll take them as well as mine, okay? Grant me, O oh Lord, a double portion. Isn't that in the Bible someplace? And so we're going to look at financial blessings, and this is something that does cause a little bit of a, a controversy in the Christian church because 
You know, some people emphasize financial blessings so much that it becomes unbalanced, it becomes unhealthy, it can even become detrimental to their spiritual faith and their walk with God. But then there's other people that um, think that God is only interested in spiritual things, and He's not interested in material or physical things at all. And both of those ideas are wrong. One idea is materialistic. It's been all caught up with the temporary present world. The other idea actually comes from Gnosticism and Eastern mysticism. It's like, oh, only spiritual things are pure and everything else uh, God isn't interested in. And the Bible doesn't teach either of those. The Bible teaches a balanced perspective when it comes to financial blessings from God. The other thing is, there are some preachers, you can find them on TV and on the internet, who are known as prosperity preachers, and they take the passages in the Bible about financial blessings and wealth and, and things like that, and it's, it's, they talk about it so much, they take a truth and they stretch it to such an extreme that it becomes no longer a truth. It becomes something unbalanced. And usually, usually they take these promises of financial prosperity in the Bible, and they say, that means everyone's going to be rich. And the way to get rich is, send some money to me for my new jet, okay? And so that is known as the false prosperity gospel. But because that's about, a lot of other Christians and even preachers and pastors get so uptight about even the word prosperity, which is in the Bible dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times, they get so uptight about that word and about money that anybody that mentions anything biblical about financial blessings will say, oh, that sounds like the prosperity gospel. And that's not the prosperity gospel. There is a biblical balanced message. So let me tell you this. There are people who have gone to Bible colleges and have been trained as pastors, and one of the things that they have learned at Bible college is they have learned everything the Bible speaks about finances and material possessions. And it says a lot. Do you know the Bible has about 500 verses on faith and prayer? Faith and prayer, about 500 verses. Do you know how many verses the Bible has about money and, and material possessions? 2,350. And we're going to look at every one of them today, so I hope you're, you brought your lunch. <laughs> It has a lot to say about them, okay? And so uh, anyone that teaches, teach, oh my goodness, does that sounds like the prosperity. No, this is a biblical. Let's look at what the Bible says in a balanced manner. Now, sometimes these prosperity gospel people who tend to be like tele-evangelists and so on, they will use the same words and say the same things as a pastor, as I might say today, standing, we're going to read passages from the Scriptures, and I might say sentences that are exactly the same as 
as uh, prosperity gospel preachers might say. But then I'm also going to say other stuff that they may not say. Now, um, one man who did teach about biblical prosperity was a famous Bible teacher who's not with us any longer now. His name was Kenneth Hagin, and he wrote a book called The Midas Touch. He had a large, he established a large Bible college that taught many, many pastors. They went, then went out, established churches, and teach the Bible. And Kenneth Hagin was bothered that some of these televangelists were taking some of his teachings on biblical financial blessings and were exaggerating it beyond the Bible. And so in his book, The Midas Touch, which is based on the verse, whatever we put our hands to, God shall prosper, he wanted to correct this. And, and so I want to read, I've got a quote from him here, and I want to read it. This is what he said. He said, it is simply not true that everyone who has faith for prosperity will live in a palace drive a luxurious car, and wear expensive designer clothes. Prosperity is relative. For some people, being able to pay their bills and provide the basic comforts of life for their families would be a great blessing, a definite step up. In some countries, being prosperous may mean owning a bicycle to ride or an ox to plow the field. So I want you to take this definition. When we read the Bible now and when I talk about uh, the word prosperity and financial blessings, this is not a get-rich-quick scheme that you're going to suddenly become a multimillionaire if you send me your best offering today. Now, if you want to send me your best offering today, I will not turn it down, but I'm not promising anything in return, okay? So I just want you to know that, that this is our definition, that wherever you currently are in life, as you walk with God and have faith in God and trust Him for His covenant promises, your life can take a step up, even materially and financially, and can take another step up and another step up until you've got so much that you don't need it yourself, and you are now being a blessing to other people as well. So, let's have a look now at what the Bible says. We're not going to go through all 2,000 verses of Scripture, but I'm going to get through as quite a few today, and we're going to go fast. Let's start at the very beginning of the Bible, the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And let's have a look here at the covenant God made with Abraham and how God blessed Abraham. And I want to remind you that Galatians 3 says, if we believe in Christ, the blessings of Abraham belong to us. Abram was a poor old soul that was just scraping by. Is that what the Bible says? Abram was what? Very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. Now, if Abram lived today, he would be very rich in game stock, silver, and gold. But in those days, it was livestock. And all the guys... All the stock market guys were upset with him because they, 
he bust the bank, you know? A blessing came on him. And look at this. Lot, who was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy. Sometimes you get the blessing by hanging about with blessed people. Some of it rubs off on you. Some of their attitudes rub off on you. Uh, he also became very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all their flocks and herds living so close together. Here is the first man that God makes a covenant with. And look at what one of the blessings are that come upon him. It's financial blessings. And this, this was promised to Abraham and his seed. So let's look at Abraham's son, Isaac. Let's look at the next verse. Here's what the next one says. Isaac became what? A very rich man. And his wealth continued to grow. He acquired things. He acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle and servants that the Philistines became jealous of him. You know, sometimes, you know, unbelievers don't like Christians and they criticize us and they call us hypocrites and blah, blah, blah. Wouldn't it be good if they were like so jealous of us? They'd be like, huh, those Christians are so blessed, it's just not fair. I guess we should just become one of them, you know? And sometimes when I hear people rant against any biblical teaching about finances, you know, you mentioned finances. God doesn't care about finances. That's a prosperity gospel. Sometimes I think, that sounds a bit like the spirit of jealousy speaking through you there. Let's not be jealous. Let's not be Philistines. Let's be people who walk in the blessings of Abraham. What about Isaac's son, Jacob? Let's have a look at him. It said, Jacob made this vow, if God will indeed be with me, so he wants God's presence, and if he will protect me, on this journey, and if he will provide me. So Jacob is putting God first. I want God's presence. I want God's protection. I want God's provision, okay? If he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God. This guy didn't just serve God until he got some money and then stopped coming to church. Where's so-and-so? I haven't seen them for six months. Oh, they got rich and stopped coming to church. That wasn't what this guy did. He says, if God blesses me materially and financially, I will come regularly. I will worship him. He will be my God. Um, and I will present God a tenth of everything. I'll, I'll become a tither. I will tithe. If I have your presence, if I have your protection, if I have your provision, then I will present things to you. I will present God a tenth of everything he gives me. And as a result of giving God a tenth, Jacob had less money than he had before. No, he didn't. 
because it doesn't work that way in the kingdom. And as a result, Jacob became very wealthy with large flocks of sheep and goats and female and male servants and many camels and donkeys. Church, we aren't even out the first book of the Bible yet. This is the book of Genesis. Let's jump right to the middle of the Old Testament. Let's go to the book of Proverbs here. Let's have a look where it says, now look at all those verses up here. So we're going through a lot of Proverbs. Look what it says. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Do you see there's a work ethic here? Whoever trusts in riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. So there's a work ethic, and then there's also priorities mentioned here. Is your trust in God, or is your trust in riches? Priorities. Dishonest money dwindles away. Isn't it amazing that that criminals can rob a house or rob a bank or something like that, and like three weeks later, it's all gone. All the money's gone. Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little, there is no get-rich-quick scheme in the kingdom of God. God is looking for people to grow in maturity so they can handle the next level. And then grow in maturity there so they can handle the next level. And then grow in maturity there so they can handle the next level. But if God took us financially from there to there, you know, like the people that go from abject poverty to winning the lottery, and then three years later they're in debt again because they blew the law. And but God says here, whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. Listen, it is good to have a dream for your life. It's good to set goals for your career, your business, your family, your finances. But if if all you're doing is dreaming, then it's a fantasy and it will come to nothing. Some, some people have got an opportunity right now. You've got a job right now. You've got a business right now. You've got a way of making income right now. But you want to be doing this right now. Listen, you might get your dream, but see, in the meantime, work the field you're in. If you're in the real estate field, work that. If you're in the healthcare field, work that. But work the field you're in. And when you've been faithful in little, then God will promote you and make you ruler over much. Next one, please. This is still Proverbs. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. A good name is to be chosen rather than riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. So do you see the biblical balance? God promises financial blessings. He even encourages you to use your initiative and build your wealth. But always keep your priorities right. Money's not the most important thing in life. In fact, it's quite a way down the line. God is, your family is, your reputation is. A lot of things come before that. Look at this. A little sleep, 
a little slumber. Those of you joining us online that are still in your beds this morning and haven't got out yet, a little folding of your hands to rest. And you know what happens? Poverty comes on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed bandit. Let's go on. Malachi, we're now the first book of the, of the Old Testament, then Proverbs, the middle of the Old Testament, now Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. And look what it says. Should people cheat God? Yes, you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me out of the tithes and offerings due to me. Now we're talking not about priorities, not about a work ethic. Now we're talking about what the Bible calls the law of sowing and reaping. Whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. And it's saying here that if we are generous givers financially, and if God comes first in our financial giving, then look what happens. He says, you are under a curse, this whole nation, for you have been cheating me. You remember the first week Christ redeemed us from that curse? Do you remember that? Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. We don't have a curse, so you're free from that. But the, that the blessings still belong to you. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. Let's read on. If you do you'll now have 10% less than you had before because now you've got, is that the way it works in the kingdom? No, it doesn't. You ask people, they'll say, when I started giving to God, the little that I had left stretched further than the whole did before. Look at this. If you do, I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing so great there won't be room enough to receive it. How many of you have still got room in your house someplace to store some money? How many of you, the bank has not yet called you and said, sorry, your bank account's full. You're not allowed to put any more in there. So we are still looking forward to the promise of our storehouses and barns and cupboards and bank accounts and wallets being so full that we don't know what. Do you know that during the days of King Solomon, they had so much gold and silver in Jerusalem that they didn't even bother counting the silver. It was too much. It says you'll be blessed so much that you won't have room to take it in. Try it. You'll like it. He says, just put me to the test. And he says, your crops will be abundant and I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe. Then all nations will call you blessed. The name of this series, blessed. God is saying that when we become generous people, he makes sure that we are rewarded financially in return. And God calls that being blessed. Okay. And your land, your family, your church, your community is going to be a great delight. Okay. What about Jesus? What about the New Testament? Let's go on to the next passage here. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus speaking. But when you give to someone in need, 
Oh, he is continuing the theme of generosity here. When you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You know, I'm not totally against this, but I always think it's funny when you go into a building or a museum or a place and they have the name of everyone who has donated money and how much money they've donated. You know, I want the whole public to know how generous I am, you know? Look at this. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal for wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. Priorities, generosity to other people, receiving God's blessings in return, but always putting spiritual things above above material things, putting the next life above this life, and putting spiritual treasures above financial treasures. Let's read on. Still in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. You will either hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Money makes a good servant, it makes a very bad master. And so money is a tool, but tools can help or harm. Like you wouldn't give your six-year-old kid a power tool like an electric drill. That could harm, they could damage themselves with it. But once you're old enough and mature enough and you've learned how to use it, that tool could help you build a house to live in. And so, we see here that uh, we need to make sure that we have our priorities in place, and once our priorities are in place and God is first, we can have faith that God will look after us. Look, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? This is a verse that's quoted in my house quite a lot. You know, someone will come in the door and they'll say, what will we eat? And we'll be going, I don't know what to wear. <laughs> and we quote this one a lot. Uh, but look at this. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Listen, if you're a believer, you will need to think about these things. You'll go home and someone will say to you, what will we eat? And you'll say, did we get HelloFresh this week? I don't know. What's in the fridge, right? This morning when you got up and you got out of the shower and you dried yourself, you thought to yourself, what will I wear? But those things don't dominate your thoughts, okay? They dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He will give you everything you could possibly need. The words of Jesus. Let's look on. We've got some more words of Jesus here from Luke's gospel. Give! and it will be given back to you in good measure, 
pressed down, shaken together and running over. What this means is, you know like if you got flour and you put flour in a container and the container's full, but if you kind of bash it and knock all the air out of it, it goes down and you can get some more in it and knock it till it goes down and you can get some more in it until eventually it overflows. And that's what it's saying. It's saying, you know, God won't just let you feel full. He'll shake you. He'll make sure it all settles so that you can get more, so that you can get more until it overflows. And the idea here is, you know, in those days in that part of the world, they had a long garment. And if you were going to collect grain or something like that, you would lift it up and the person would put some in, and you're shaking it to make sure it goes flat till you get a full amount in your kind of apron type thing. And that's what it's saying here. It will be poured into your lap. It will just keep getting poured in. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. If you're generous in teaspoons, then you will get multiple teaspoons back. If you're generous in wheelbarrow loads, you will get multiple wheelbarrow loads back. And he says it will be measured back to you. Now look at this. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others provided for Jesus and his disciples out of their means. Do you know that Jesus had money? Do you know that Jesus had so much money he had to employ a treasurer? That treasurer was Judas Iscariot. And the Bible tells us that Judas was stealing from the money. But there was so much money, they didn't even notice that Judas was stealing. There was still enough to meet all the needs. Where did all this money come from? Wealthy people were generously donating into Jesus' ministry so that him and his full-time staff of 12 people were able to have all of their needs met throughout their ministry. We see it in the Gospels. What about the Apostle Paul? Let's jump on. Here we are in 1 Timothy. Paul warns us, those who desire to get rich, and that word desire, it means to have a strong desire. It actually means this, those who lust after riches, right? Greedy, materialistic people. Those who lust after riches, those who desire to get rich, fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, hungering for it, greedy for it, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You can ask any, pa every pastor's seen this. Every pastor's seen this. They've seen people who are in love with God and they're enthusiastic about their faith and they're trusting God for a new career or something like that. And then their business takes off, then their career takes off, and then you never see them at church anymore. And then, oh, but I'm too busy, I'm too busy uh, doing this. And then do you know what happens? You meet them about a year later and they have totally shipwrecked 
break their faith because money became their God, and God took a back seat in their life. And that's what he's warning about. He says, but, so he says, people who are eager, some people who are e- so eager for money, they'll even wander away from the faith, and they'll end up piercing themselves with many sorrows. Now, that doesn't mean there was no rich people in the church. There was. They just weren't lusting after money, greedy for money. Because look, command those who are rich in this present world, there were rich people in the church. Churches need rich people. I'm praying that God's going to make some of you rich people, and you're going to share it with the church. So command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Is so un- Oh no, my, oh, I've got all these accounts and I've got all these stocks and shares and I've got all these savings. My future's not uncertain. Yeah, and then the prime minister says, the great reset, ding, nobody has any money now overnight. I mean, it is a possibility. The Schwab guy wants it to happen. You have got no control over decisions that other people make. So if you are your own source of supply, you've had it. But if God is the source of your supply, whatever happens in this world, he is still your provider. Not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Do you know that during the time of the Reformation in the city of Geneva, the churches banned sugary cakes and buns? because Christians don't need to eat sugary cakes and buns. I mean, just stale bread is enough to sustain you. I mean, you're just eating that for pure enjoyment. That's not spiritual. But God wants us to enjoy them. Do you see that? He richly provides us with dairy, cream, sugary, jam-filled buns for us to enjoy. It's like, if you're going to go and buy clothes, buy something you enjoy wearing. If you're going to buy a car, buy a car you enjoy driving. He richly gives us everything for our enjoyment. Let's read on. 2 Corinthians, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for our sake he became poor so that we, through his poverty, might be made rich. This isn't talking about spiritual riches and spiritual poverty. There's two chapters here, chapter 8 and chapter 9. You read them sometime. It's all about money. Don't tell me this is about spiritual poverty and riches. Don't tell me Jesus became poor spiritually. Jesus became poor spiritually. If somebody who's poor spiritually can walk on water, multiply food, turn water into wine, say, Peter, go and catch a fish, and when you empty it out, money will come out its mouth. Go and pay our tax bill with that. If that's somebody who's poor spiritually, show me someone who's rich spiritually, please. Please, you know. This is talking about someone who laid aside the throne of heaven to come to earth. Then a bunch of wise men came with gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
And then we see him later on in his life wearing the finest of clothes, Jesus was. And then we see him being arrested and stripped of everything, being brought into complete poverty and dying on the cross in shame, in poverty, in pain. And he did all that for us. Here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin to generosity, giving. Let's read on. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead to make sure the gift you promised is ready, but I want it to be a willing gift, not one giving grudging, grudgingly. Remember this, a farmer who plants a few seeds gets a few crops, but the one who plants generously gets a generous crop. Listen, we could be here all day going through these passages of Scripture, but let's just bring it all to a conclusion right now. What is my conclusion? Go to my bullet points there, please, on this. Here, as we read through the Bible, here's what we see. God does, God really does promise financial blessings and abundance and prosperity to those who, number one, put God before money. And number two, value people above possessions. Don't keep your possessions, but share with those in need, the Bible says. Number three, people who have a work ethic. Number four, people who provide for their own. If you've got a work ethic and you make lots of money and then you just go and gamble it all and don't provide for your family, the Bible warns against that. People who provide for their families. People who are generous givers to God and the kingdom of God and also to other people who are in need. People who are wise planners and think ahead. And people who have faith for miracles. That even when there isn't one cent left, you know that God can do something that no one else could do. The Bible's pretty clear. God does promise financial abundance and prosperity to those kind of people. Next slide. But not to those who put money before God. Not to those who use people and love things instead of loving people and using things. Not to those who are lazy. Not to those who are stingy towards God and others. Not to those who don't provide for their family. Not to those who just want instant gratification and not to those who don't trust God. So put my last slide up. If you want to experience, stand up with me, will you? If you want to experience financial blessings this year, you want to experience financial blessings this year? If you do, you need to be in the first group. So we're gonna pray we're going to pray a prayer of faith and we're going to base it on that first list again. Give me my first list again up there, will you? 
God promises financial abundance and prosperity to these people. So come on, stir up your heart. Let's lift our hands to heaven and let's make this confession of faith together. Let's say, with God's help, this year, I will be a person who puts God first, who values people, who has a work ethic, who provides for my family. I will be a generous giver, more generous than I've ever been before towards God and people. I will be a wise planner. And above all else, I have faith in a miracle working God. My God makes promises and keeps promises. And I claim the promise of provision in my life right here and right now in Jesus name and all God's people said Amen church Amen